Second Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 1. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favourable favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, this is now the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labours, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise. We are treated, treated as impostors and yet are true, as un, unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful as yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness but lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bela? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among you and walk among you, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Almighty Lord. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Amen. Thanks, Heather. Um, let me pray. Here we go. Father, uh, our desire is to know you better. Teach us this morning, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> I was having a conversation with uh, another person and he, uh, he was telling me uh, about uh, his trip to modern Corinth. And uh, as they were in modern Corinth, they actually discovered men gathered in the parks 
playing dominoes. Uh, I'm not sure, certain if our men's group would uh, do a dominoes competition. <clears throat> but uh, he, he expressed that um, uh, it was really quite friendly and warm and welcoming. Uh, he couldn't speak any of their language, and yet they had a good time together. You know, that hasn't been Paul's experience of ancient Corinth. Paul's not feeling it. Paul's feeling a very different vibe. Remember, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth because church life is complex and messy and, yes, even can be hurtful. Paul seems to have thrown his weight around and then let the Corinthians down. He seems a bit unreliable and false teachers are calling the Corinthians to turn away from Paul and to turn to a different gospel. So Paul, he writes to Corinthians to remind them of the gospel and to plead with them to be faithful to it and to their partnership with him. Paul's faithful to the gospel and instead of being ashamed of weakness and suffering, Paul wants them to see how in the gospel they can find joy in weakness and strength in God. And you've got to ask, well then, how do Christians have disagreements? Can Christians resolve their differences. Paul's given them everything. He's put himself out there. He's given it his best shot, but the Corinthians have shot Paul down in flames. He's feeling rather burnt by them. Jesus gave a new commandment. We all know that one, love one another. But Paul's found no love in Corinth. Let's do a bit of a recap. We're in chapter 6, but let's go back to the beginning of 2 Corinthians. It's an amazing book. Paul upholds Corinth as the church of God with the expectation that grace and peace from the Father and Jesus Christ would rule there. Even when afflicted to the point of death, even in church disputes then, both Paul and the Corinthians should be able to draw upon the comfort of the Lord. It's in that first chapter, in the opening sections of the chapter. Especially since I think Paul hasn't found much comfort from the Corinthians themselves. Paul decided not to be confrontational with the Corinthians, and so he didn't, didn't visit them. Sadly, even that was twisted and turned into an accusation against Paul, when all Paul wanted was not to make another painful visit. Paul does love these folk, Paul joins with them in forgiving the immoral person in chapter 2. Paul, it seems, 
He, he's not getting much love from the Corinthians, though, in return. Even though Paul and the Corinthians together are being led by Christ in a triumphal procession. Paul's open-hearted to the Corinthians because of the new covenant they've all received. Their eyes have been opened by the Spirit of the Lord to the glory and the sufficiency of the new life our Lord has given to us, to them, to Paul. And Paul, a man who talks about treasure and wealth, well, Paul's actually living on the breadline. For a preacher who proclaims life, well, Paul's okay if his earthly home is destroyed. And Paul's prepared to give it all up, risk life and limb because he's a man compelled by the love of Christ. He's an ambassador for the gospel. God's given him this ministry and God's making his appeal through Paul to the Corinthians and to the world. And if the Corinthians can be reconciled to God, then surely they can be reconciled to Paul, can't they? God makes us a new creation in Jesus. Paul's heart has been opened wide by the gospel because the kingdom of God is now wide open. God's reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ and no longer counting men's sins against them. And if the kingdom is wide open and Paul's heart is wide open, well, Paul calls on the Corinthians to open wide their hearts because lately they've been a closed book. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul warns the Corinthians. Paul defends his ministry. Paul warns them about who they're getting attached to. You know, these aren't things that Paul likes to do, but they are things that he has to do. It's awkward. Paul's not patting himself on the back here. Paul's just being real. And along the way, make sure that you notice that the marks of the genuine apostle and the marks of genuine Christian ministry aren't necessarily things the world's going to think of as glorious. But they are things that God thinks are glorious. Let's follow along. First, Paul says, if you've stumbled in your Christian faith, then it's not because of me. You've got a responsibility here. You know, I've actually seen it. People who walk away from their faith or walk away from the church and they say things like, you know, he said, he did. And they make it all about people, other people, generally. They say, no, I still believe. But as far as I'm concerned, talk to the hand. I'm not listening to you. 
But that raises the question, doesn't it? Well, what is it that you really do believe? And so Paul, yes, he pushes here. Was it all for nothing? Is this letter a waste of time? Look at 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him, working together with Jesus, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The Lord and his gospel of grace is the foundation It is the common ground for every relationship. The Lord is still speaking and he's speaking his salvation both through his servant Jesus and through Jesus' servants like Paul. The Corinthians shouldn't be indifferent or bar humbug Paul or Paul's message. Instead, they should immediately respond to that message with, Oh, yes! Verse 2. For he says, In a favourable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so Paul says, look, if you've stumbled, it's not because of me. Verse 3, he says, I've bent over backwards not to put a stumbling block in anybody's path. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Paul says, we didn't stop you from coming to Jesus and being saved. So what's gone wrong? Well, there's subversion going on. And if they're honest about it, they'll know it's not from Paul's side. Paul doesn't put stumbling blocks in anybody's path so that his ministry won't be discredited. Verse 4, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And really note what Paul says here. Does he say we commend ourselves with our good references from our mates and our high-powered qualifications and degrees and our prosperity and our obvious success? God is blessing us. So does he say we commend ourselves because we came and fixed all your problems? Does he say we commend ourselves because, well, nothing ever goes wrong when you're a genuine apostle, when you're that close to God? Nothing can go wrong, can it? No. He says the opposite. He says we commend ourselves to you because... We've copped exactly the sort of things Jesus did. Read it from the middle of verse 4. We commend ourselves in our great endurance. 
It hasn't been easy, but we've stuck with it. He says, we commend ourselves in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labours, sleepless nights, hunger. You can read about all of that in Paul's life in the book of Acts. And see the way the genuine apostles follow along in the footsteps of Jesus and get treated exactly the same. But they keep going because they're preaching the word of life and they want people to hear it. The genuine apostle doesn't breeze through life without hitting hard times. He's got troubles and hardships and distress and sleepless nights like everyone else. But the thing the genuine apostle does is he endures. And not only that, he's godly in his actions, just like Jesus. See what Paul's like in the middle of all that? Verse 6. And it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the power of God that makes him like this. Because I can tell you, it's certainly not natural. He's beaten and thrown in prison. He's cold and he's hungry. He hasn't had a decent night's sleep for months. But at the same time, he's committed to purity. And knowledge, that's knowledge of the gospel. And patience. You know, with me... Some of these things are the first things to go. He's kind. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, he's facing this stuff with sincere love. And he says there in verse 7, and with truthful speech, which is all the thing that God uses as a weapon. Paul calls them the weapons of righteousness. These are the big guns, he's saying. Don't take shortcuts. God's weapons are purity and patience and kindness and honesty. You you might feel like you get walked over sometimes using those things, but keep at it. And Paul's stuck with it, even when things haven't seemed fair. He's kept his integrity, even when he's been accused of being a phony, even when his integrity has been unfairly questioned. It's tough when people do that to you, but Paul's been through the lot and he's still being godly. Read from verse 8. Through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true. Verse 9, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live as punished and yet not killed. Verse 10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. You know, Paul's poured out everything he's got and he still keeps going. You know, that's the picture of a genuine apostle. Paul's copped the lot. 
He's left with nothing, except he's actually got everything he wants because, well, he's looking to heaven. Paul's got, well, he's given up every bit of pride. His personal preferences. He's made himself poor so other people can gain the riches of the gospel. That's what authentic apostles look like. That's Christian ministry. And the Christians, well, it would seem as if they've decided they don't want to know him. <laughs> He's known, but they've treated him as unknown. Paul, you're a loser. You're the weakest link. Goodbye. You know, the Corinthians, they've decided they can do better with somebody else. You can tell when people go cold on you, can't you? You know, they avoid you down the street when all you get is a half-polite hello. It's like that with the Corinthians and Paul. He's loved them like a father and still does. Uh, have a look at what they've done. Read from verse 11. Paul's speaking from the heart here. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. He's talking about himself and Timothy. When they came to Corinth the, for the first time. So what's changed? He says, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. This is a sting, verse 13. Now, in return, I speak to you as like children. Children's love can be fickle. We all know that. Love you one minute, hate you the next. In return... Widen your hearts also. Friends, look, Paul's not just a bit worried because these Corinthians have got a few new ideas. Paul's broken hearted because his children have thrown him out and locked the door. After all he's given, after all he's sweated on them, after all his prayers for them, after he's poured out his life in the ministry of the gospel, he's been dumped. As you keep reading 2 Corinthians, you get to find out why. Sorry, Paul, you're not such a good speaker as these other guys. They're impressive. Sorry, Paul, you've got things a little bit wrong. God wants to bless us with health and wealth in this life. You just need a little bit more faith, Paul. Just pray this special prayer each day for 30 days and you'll be rich. Sorry, Paul, God doesn't want us to do it tough. He wants us to do it easy. And they'll add a few little Jewish rituals here and a few little pagan bits and pieces there. 
and the whole thing looks pretty darn good. Which is why Paul has to say what he says in verses 14 through to 18. He says, be careful who you join up with. And you see, that's the problem. They've got split interests, conflicting affections, divided loyalties. Paul says, stay committed to God. Stay committed to God's people. Now, these couple of verses, they're pretty well worn in Christian circles, especially verse 14. He says to them, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. It's a picture of a bullock team, unevenly matched, unequally yoked. One pulling all the weight, the other, well, perhaps even pulling backwards. And often you'll hear people applying it to marriage. If you're a Christian and you're choosing a partner, make sure you choose another Christian. And can I say to you, it's incredibly good advice. Because if you're a Christian married to a non-Christian, you'll know it's tough. And I know that if you're in that situation, you'll know how it feels to plough round in circles with one ox doing all the pulling and the other one digging in its heels. If you're in the harness already, Paul back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, look, you need to stay as you are. But if you're choosing a partner now, or if down the track you're going to be choosing a partner, then choose a Christian and don't be tempted otherwise. And I know that almost every Christian I know who's walked into that situation, they'd want me to say to you, don't do it. Now having said that, can I say to you that Paul's not talking about marriage here. It's the same principle. It still applies, but he's talking about something else, isn't he? Look at the context. Keep it in context. Paul's talking about his relationship to the Corinthians and the relationship the Corinthians have with others. Paul's talking about true and false apostles and the fact these Corinthians are looking for something new. It's a very specific warning to them that he's giving here. To be very, very careful as Christians that these new things they're pursuing don't harm them. Because it's quite possible that new teaching that sounds so spiritual that it's actually deceptive. It's a deception of the devil himself. Friends, these are hard words because God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, they bring grace and peace and comfort to their church. They've given their apostles to the church. 
Apostles who aren't deceptive, who don't put stumbling blocks in the way of folk becoming Christians. Apostles who may not be impressive by the standards of the world, but who are enduring and truthful and patient and show the fruit of the Spirit and use the weapons of righteousness. And Paul's saying, stick with the people God has given you. Don't wander off. Don't be unequally yoked. Which is why Paul is saying, be careful here. Don't yoke yourself with people who aren't part of God's church. Don't tie yourself to false teaching and a false gospel because it's the work of the devil. And what partnership, what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Absolutely nothing. What fellowship What fellowship is there between light and dark? None. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? He says, Belial, it's a tricky word, isn't it? It's a Hebrew word that has the meaning of worthlessness. And that was their name for the devil. The worthless one. What what harmony? None. No harmony. And notice Paul's talking about partnership and fellowship and accord, the harmony. And notice what the other teachers are offering. Well, it's sad the way in which Paul describes what they're offering. Lawlessness, darkness, worthlessness that comes from the devil. That's what they're offering. And you're running after that? And Paul reminds the Corinthians that, well, look, God's absolutely committed to them in verses 16 through to 18. I will be your God and you will be my people. He's committed to you. So shouldn't you be absolutely committed to God in return? Shouldn't you? Sadly, sometimes it's really hard to spot, you know, the fakes, the deceivers. They sound so good. And we've got to be looking, actually. We don't wander along blindly. Let's open our eyes. Let's look. Really look. Because God is our God and we're his people. And we've got to take seriously the task of being faithful to him and sticking to the gospel and living lives of integrity. And Paul says here in chapter 7 verse 1, because we've got these promises from God, Because we've got the gospel, we need to purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. He's really saying, look, you, you, don't you be the idol in God's temple. We need to get serious about living holy lives. Avoiding the rubbish that's offered by 
those false gospels. Get ready for heaven. Train. Perfecting our technique of learning, of leaning only on grace. Perfect our technique of leaning only on Jesus. Paul says this, he says, be like that, stick with the gospel, work at perfecting your godliness. It's chapter 7, verse 1, punchline. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. It's one of the directions of our church, isn't it? Making everybody complete in Christ. Mature. Godly. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Even when things are tough. Like for Paul. You know, I reckon sometimes we use tough times as an excuse for ungodliness. Have you ever done that, you know, get back at God a bit, swear at him, get drunk, get bitter, not going to go to church? The genuine apostle that the Corinthians are rejecting is an apostle who faces trouble and hardship and distress with love and patience and kindness, he's genuine. And they call him a fake. There are fakes around, but they seem to be calling them genuine. They've got things back to front. Friends, look, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we capture a glimpse of what true ministry is meant to look like. And I want you to keep urging those who lead here in our church to be like that, to be godly, to persevere in hard times, and not to be the sort of Christian leaders who have to live the terrible lie of pretending all the time, everything's glorious, you know. Ministering to people is always going to have its disappointments. It's going to have sleepless nights. That's the reality. Friends, what do you do when you have a dispute with a brother in Christ? especially, say, a Christian leader? Do you withdraw from them relationally, emotionally, financially? Is that you? Your only sorrow is your self-pity. Woe is me. Friends, that's selfishness. That's Worldly, isn't it? It's not godly living. Come out of that. Be different. Repentance is what God seeks, not regret. 
if the gospel has opened wide your heart, then open wide your hearts to others just like God. Friends, I'm going to say to you, you are a blessed bunch of people. You've got leaders like Josh and Keith and elders here at St. John's on Gettys. Godly folk. You're blessed. They're patient and kind and truthful. They have the genuine love of the Holy Spirit for you. They pray for you. They spend time with you. They've opened their hearts to you. Don't ignore them. Don't give them the cold shoulder. Don't stir up trouble for them. Now look, I'm not saying you've got to always agree with them. But I'm saying they're not setting out to lead you astray. They ground their ministry in the gospel. They're not deceptive or underhanded. They don't put any stumbling blocks in your way. So be careful when you think you know better than them or when you think they're against you. They're not. Now you should hold Keith and Josh and the elders with deep affection. Open your hearts to God's people and God's shepherds. And as you look around at other churches, it's incredibly sad when you see open hostility in some churches, criticism, gossip, dissatisfaction, faithful ministers being dumped like the Apostle Paul here, instead of encouraged with open-hearted love. And it's really sad because it does happen when ministers hold it over their church Instead of being open, they run to the letter of the contract and the letter of the law. They're ruthless and heartless and secretive, manipulative. Friends, I thank God that this church isn't like that. But it's something we need to keep working at, isn't it? at loving one another as we hold on to the gospel together and working at living holy lives out of reverence for God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your gospel and thank you for your open heart to us. Father, Help us to open our hearts to one another. Thank you for genuine love and truth and honesty and patience. And even thank you for sleepless nights. Perhaps your real blessings come from a thousand tears, Father. Help us. Be our strength, for we need it, Father. But help us.
to truly live lives of love and care with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.